low tide, swallowed a handful of sleeping pills, and let nature hurry its course. Perhaps she'd hoped never to be found. That was Ray's theory. Her brother Ray said she'd done it out of spite. Seven years she would have made us wait, Ray said, but the sea spat her back in the end. Thank God for drink, Angie decides. Over the years, she has learned that bad things fall away in the presence of alcohol. Guilt, anger, boredom, fear. It's the aesthetics of drink she has always loved. The tinkle of ice cubes in a glass. The pleasing chink of bottle against rim. The amber beauty of the liquid as it tumbles forth obediently. The marvellous heat in the back of the throat and the melting away of the self in the process. There are few things in life she prefers. But she likes the sea. That is why she moved to Morecambe after her divorce, into her mother's deserted bungalow. Her mother had bequeathed the house to her, a small one-bedroom brick-and-stucco cottage in a suburban cul-de-sac with a long, narrow garden at the back that had been her particular obsession. On the night Angie moved in, she had locked the garden door and thrown the key in the back of a drawer, not caring what became of her mother's flowers and shrubs. Over the ensuing months, she had marked the garden's decline with something akin to satisfaction, until it became little more than a dense jungle of weeds. Now she stares out at the gathering dusk. The tide is set to turn, but it will be hours before the water comes galloping across the bay. Her ex-husband hated the sea, hated the feel of sand in his shoes, the stick of salt in his hair, the endless lapping of waves. He was a terrible swimmer too, something she did not discover until after they were married. Their holidays were invariably of the mountain sort, Snowdonia, the Alps, the Pyrenees water did not feature, though she'd sought respite in other forms of fluid. It was a relief to live alone again, to line the empty bottles up along the counter without fear of recrimination. Outside the night is ugly just as they said it would be. The beach in front of her is empty, but further down the shore a dirty white van crawls along, snaking its way around rivulets and patches of wet sand. She watches at its tools briefly, then creeps forward across the sands. A moment later, she hears the muffled roar of engines out to sea. Two quad bikes, laden with hunched figures, come racing in across the flats. They pass the white van, now heading optimistically out towards the water. She sees the driver of the first bike gesture towards the incoming tide, but the white van trundles on unheeding towards the fishing beds. She'd not been planning to come. She'd slept badly and woke late, losing much of the day in the process. At half-past three she'd driven to the shops and bought a bottle of whiskey, and on the drive home before she'd even realised, she'd turned right at the level crossing and was heading towards the shore. She drove past the far end of the gravel car park, stopping just beyond the battered wooden warning sign, the one her mother had not heeded. Angie closes her eyes 
struggling to shed her mother's memory. The drink takes its toll and she dozes off, dreaming of this same shore. Only the day is sunny, and she is a child of nine or ten. She skips across the sand to the shoreline, her toes dipping into the frothy yellow edge. Don't wade out, calls her mother, or you'll be sucked under. She turns to see her mother on the blanket flicking through a magazine, her dark brown hair tied back in a pale yellow kerchief. When she is no longer watching, Angie wades out so that the water rises to her neck. A swell lifts her briefly off the sand, and for an instant she is flying. Then she hears her mother's voice calling. Angie wakes with a start, disorientated, her mouth dry. Outside, night has fallen.